much power do you have? If you don't have a lot of power, what I realized is that if you don't have a lot of power, the best, second best thing is to have the ear of someone who has a lot of power. That way, while you don't have to deal with all the stress that comes with having to exert and control and use that power in the most proper way to the benefit of other people, and for some people it's actually using that power to the benefit of themselves, if you don't have the power, then at least if you have the ear of the person that has power, then you can have a great deal of influence. It's, it's the next best thing. What I find fascinating is that when you look back over the history of God, there's a individual who seems to have the ear of God more than anyone else. It's a tradition that is, that, that truth is found not only in the Christian tradition, but it's found also in the Jewish tradition. And that person is Moses. Listen to what this writer says about Moses. This is found in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. God says, If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Man, what an attaboy to give Moses. The writer of Numbers chapter 12 believed that Moses was unlike any other human being and that he had the ear of God. He could influence God. What's amazing, though, about Moses is when you read about him through the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Old Testament, you discover that this person who is supposed to have God's ear is actually a person that is filled with a lot of doubt when it comes, about, comes to who God is and what God can and cannot do and how reliable God is. That is our discussion today as we continue our look at doubt and Christianity through the past and into the present. And to assist me is my co-host, Ms. Janelle Taphorn. Good Man, morning. I have missed you. You've been gone for two weeks. Yeah. I was out sick, actually. And just for a qualification, because there seems to unfortunately still be this, what, first time you say, is, are you sick? The first thing people think, in my opinion, is COVID. Right. COVID? <laughs> no, it was not. I'm happy to say it was a, a virus. It was a head cold. It just went secondary, and it took me a while to get up enough oomph to overcome it. But here I am. And is your head clear? Because we need that today. I need as clear. much help as I can. Yes, no fog. No fog. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was kind of fun, calling Janelle and listening to her. I was checking in on her and listening to her, and then just her thoughts weren't necessarily coherent <laughs> all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> I agree. Not with the little stuff either. Yeah. And my dreams were whacked out. Were they? Oh, my gosh. Ooh, yes. So you were tapping into the subconscious. Something. Ah. Very strange. Well, welcome back. I'm glad Thank you're you. here with us. Um, what do you think? Hmm. About? Do you have the ear of anyone that you consider to have a lot of power in our society? <laughs> 
So I'm a subordinate, in other words? Um, yeah, but like, for example, Gord, uh, let's say Governor Ducey. Does he call you up every once in a while and says, hey, Janelle, I'm thinking about this. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? Can you help me out here? No, you should be glad he doesn't have one here. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> I'm a follower. Uh -huh. Except at home. Oh. And I'm the leader of the house. You're the leader of the house. Just ask my kids. Ask your kids. And not your husband. husband. Oh, no. But you ask the kids and they'll tell you who's in charge. <laughs> There's a power struggle going on. <laughs> Well, I think in any relationship, there's this element of, of give and take. And part of that we see throughout the Old Testament when it comes to God. And yes. I think one of the things that I find amazing as I read the Old Testament and the New Testament and look at what's happening today mm -hmm. is there is such a value today in knowing everything about God and knowing what God wants Mm -hmm. that any the idea of doubt just doesn't seem to have a lot of play in it. There's not a lot of room for doubt. But right. yet when you go back and you look at Moses, man, that guy... He was full of doubt. Yeah. And even if you don't take the stories literally, mm -hmm. you still get the idea that the writer is trying to portray that here is this man who is going to be the epitome of, of humanity yes. in re response to God, and yet he continually calls God into question. Right. So, well, we're going to take just a quick break and we're going to switch over to our monologue. So we will be right back. The most reverend Justin Wilby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, told, recently told an audience at Bristol Cathedral that there were moments where he wondered, and now quoting from him, is there a God? Where is, is God? Then he was asked specifically if he harbored doubts, and the Archbishop of Canterbury replied, again quoting him, it is a really good question. The other day I was praying over something as I was running, and I ended up saying to God, look God, this is all very well, but isn't it about time you did something if you're there? Which is probably not what the Archbishop of Canterbury should say. Individuals throughout history have had doubts around God. Look at what's happening right now on the international stage when it comes to how people are responding to Russia invading Ukraine. When I look through my social media feeds, one of the things I see continually is individuals calling for prayers for Ukraine. Well, I think we could hear again what our, the Archbishop of Canterbury said. Isn't it time, God, that you did something if you're there? So when people pray to God, there's this belief that God may intervene and do something, or perhaps that God will give those people in Ukraine courage and strength to be able to withstand what is happening to them. But again, the question is, 
that I think the Archbishop of Canterbury asks is one that we have to perhaps stop and reflect on. You don't have to, but I think it, it's wise to. And that is, where is God in all the midst of this? And that's kind of the setting that also arose with Moses. Moses, he's an Israelite. He grew up in Egypt, according to the story. And during that time, he came to know about the God of Israel. And knowing about the God of Israel, he saw the devastation that his people were living under. They were living the under the control of an outside power. Much that will happen to Ukraine if Russia is successful in overthrowing it. And in the midst of all of this, Moses tries to act out, and it doesn't go well for him, so he ends up leaving Egypt. While he's out there in the wilderness, he meets God. And God tells him, hey, it's time for you to go back to Egypt and deliver my people, to bring them out of bondage, to free the Ukrainians from the power of the Russians. What's amazing is Moses' response from the very beginning when God confronts him with this call. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says that Moses protested to God, and he said, who am I to appear before God? Who am I to lead the people of Egypt out of Israel? Basically, his reply, Moses, is, why me? It's not like, hey, God, let's go. I'm all in. It's more of a sense of, well, what are you doing, God? Why me? Why would you choose me? And God responds by basically saying that because I've called you, I will go with you. And you would think that would be enough for Moses, but it's not. Moses comes up with another excuse. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, he says to God, he says, if I go there and tell them that I am from you, they're going to have a lot of doubts. And by the way, God, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. And even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get all tangled up. And this objection moves from the fear of how the people will react to him to his own personal inadequacies. How God replies is quite amazing. The rhetorical questions that God has in return it, that he asks Moses are tantamount to God saying to Moses, hey buddy, are you accusing me of making a mistake in choosing you? Do you think I'm not aware of your personal limitations? Here is a man who is going to be charged with leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And the first thing that comes to his mind is, uh, I don't think I can do this. And number two, are you really smart in choosing me to do this? And the writer doesn't let God off the hook, and he doesn't let Moses off the hook. This tension, this element of doubt, and the certainty that God is exuberating, those are in tension with each other. Finally, he says, Moses says to God, look, God, send someone else. I'm not up for it. And this is the point-blank refusal to accept God's commission. 
The narrative of this story leads us with a direct clash between a divine promise and a man who voices his doubts as to whether this promise can or will be fulfilled. I think the one thing that I find fascinating is in this whole discussion in Exodus chapter 3 is Moses asked God, when I go down to the people and I ask them and tell them that God has sent me, they're going to ask, what is your name? They want to know about you, who you are. I mean, if they're going to trust you and they're going to trust me, they need to understand who you are. I find the response that the writer gives to God quite fascinating. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. Wow, think about that. That's not a lot of help. You're, you, you, no wonder Moses had doubts. This question, this response to this question about God's name, it carries the connotation of a divine presence and also confers upon that presence a quality of elusiveness. In the midst of this revelation from God, he is portrayed, God is portrayed as the unknown, the elusive God, and yet called to have faith in this God and to trust in this God. No wonder Moses was so full of doubt. But yet today it seems to me that as Christians, we put a high value on faith. Faith that almost borders on the line of certainty. It's amazing to me how many people can tell me what God wants for their life and for everyone else. I find that fascinating. Here's Moses, who's supposed to be this grand leader of the people of Israel in the Jewish tradition, and yet he is pictured as doubting God, uncertain of what God can and cannot do. And so what is the role of doubt today? Have we become so enamored with the idea of certainty, of everything being in control, of everything being in order in our life, that we look to God to give us that? That God is the one, this image that we have of God, is someone that will make sure that everything matters that everything is okay. Bertrand Russell put it this way. He said, the whole problem with the world is that the stupid are cocksure while the intelligent are full of doubt. So what role does doubt play in your life? Do you doubt God? And when you do have feelings of doubt regarding God, does it scare you? Does it create fear? Or does your doubt want to send you to, the, to that path of agnosticism and perhaps eventually atheism? Or is doubt something that you have no place for in your life? That as soon as you begin to have doubt and to call things into question, you quickly expel it from your mind. Is it possible 
that it is by embracing doubt, that calling in to question the existence of God as the Archbishop of Canterbury was willing to publicly confess that he did. Is that a helpful thing? Is that give you the opportunity to experience growth? Think about that. I encourage you to just allow that idea to ruminate in your mind for the next two minutes as you listen to this song. Welcome back. If you're listening to us online, I want to remind you that you can text in comments and questions to us at 480-389-4974. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, we have a chat function and you can type in those questions there and we'll get you into the discussion. So poor Moses. In what way do you say poor Moses? <laughs> Heavy lies the crown, right? Say it again. Heavy lies the crown. Oh, yes. Henry the Fourth. Yes. <laughs> so I read something yesterday um, by Ian Parkinson, and I'm going to focus more on his leadership. Okay. And how that takes us into the doubt. Um, he said that leadership in the Old Testament is less concerned with the ability of the leaders to discern direction and more with how they exercise obedience to God's will. Hmm. So God leads his people and has good leaders and they show obedience to God. But my question then becomes, if it's our humanity to question and doubt, are we to question the character of Moses because of all his doubts and his whining? Hmm. When does well, character it, it, come into this? Yeah, read again that one, the, what that guy said. He said, leadership in the Old Testament is less concerned with the ability of the leaders to discern direction and more with how they exercise obedience to God. What I find fascinating about that quote hmm. is that if what he is saying is accurate, yeah. then the writer 
seems to of these accounts mm -hmm. seems to want to negate the role of doubt. Yes. However, Agreed. these texts that I just shared to me just say the opposite of that. I think this going to Moses's character, I think there is this paradox mm. between the one side he he is close to God, he experiences God mm -hmm. in ways that no one else can, and yet he still doubts God. And that's a paradox. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if he's doubting God or if he's just doubting his own inabilities. Well, again, he seems to call God into question. But he's more insecure about his abilities, isn't he? Well, then if he really had that much trust in God and that God could do this, mm -hmm. then why would he have doubts about himself? Well, he has objections. Right, like but I'm one saying, right after the other, right. so he needs convincing. Right, but why? If he really believes in God, yeah. that God is calling him to do this, and that God has the power to do this, yes, and that all he is is just basically this agent. If he really believed that, why would he have self doubt? He would believe that God would do this. How many people do things with a great deal of fervor because mm -hmm. they believe <clears throat> that God wants them to do that? And they're willing, martyrs are willing to even die because they believe they are doing what God wants them to do. If that was the case with Moses, but it, it, then you would think Moses wouldn't have self-doubt. So I'm wondering is, is this, going to what you're asking, is this idea of faith in God and self-doubt, are <laughs> yes. they related to each other? Oh, sure. It's a relational act to be a leader. Well, if you look at the New Testament, it's more so Go on. than I think. Go um, on. I don't know. Um, it seems to be that <clears throat> Jesus was more about um, equipping others or taking a posture of servanthood and submission. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I don't know, in the Old Testament, it just seems more... Um, Gosh. Well, but even look at Jesus. You you know, you brought up Jesus in this. Yeah. But Jesus, when he's dying, the writer has Jesus say, well, first of all, the writer does not have Jesus say, hey, God, I'm getting ready to die. And I'll see you in just a little bit. We'll be, I'll no. be home. Right. Right. He doesn't, uh, instead, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Basically, where are you, God? He does. So how that to me is if this subservience, being obedient, all comes into play, but yet you still call into question where where is God? And that's found also throughout the Old Testament where you have the, in the Psalms where people are going, you know, I went looking for you and you were nowhere to be found. There seems to be a lot of doubt mm -hmm. that we find scattered throughout the Bible. I don't know that Jesus had that doubt. Why? He knew he was going to be sacrificed for his people. How did he? You think he did? Yeah, according to the scriptures. Hmm. That's, I, I mean, think he did. Well, but, but so what is your point? So he's more of a shepherd. Uh, and the sheep, he's, he's looking over the sheep and he's going to take his 
he's going to have to sacrifice himself for them. Yes. Does it bother you that Jesus? But Moses might, wasn't the same way. Does it bother you that Jesus might have had doubts about God? Does it bother me? No. Okay. But they were never, according to the Bible, I've never heard that. Well, I just gave you a perfect example of it. Where Jesus is on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have yes. you forsaken me? Um, he calls into question in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's being, uh, where he feels like he's being kind of his life is in the balance. And he looks to God and he says, hey, I really don't want to go through this. I think ultimately he knows. Why is that important to you that he knows? His character, I guess. Okay, go on. What about his character? So he's... <clears throat> For me, the belief in him resides in that. So is, is his character called into question? Because you use this of Moses, too. Is a person's character called into question when mm -hmm. they have doubts? So, for example, the bishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury, yeah. over in uh, the Anglican Church. Um, if if you were an Anglican, yeah, would that bother you? Where it your would bishop, surprise me, I where, guess. Why? They're in a position of authority. And therefore, the idea of them having doubts brings them down to my level more. Ah. And what's the disadvantage of that? Well, I'm a follower. I don't want, <laughs> I, don't want <laughs> I, I need a leader. <laughs> right. And I think I don't think you're unique. I think mm -mm. I think the majority of us want an element of certainty. We mm -hmm. want who, yes, certainty. Who, That's it. We want whoever is telling us about God mm -hmm. to know what they're talking about. Right. But look What's at wrong with that? how well has that gone for some churches? I mean, think about people and what they have been able to get human beings to do yeah. by saying, this is what God wants for you. I can think about David Koresh. Uh-huh. People were willing to sacrifice their lives and the lives of their children because yes. they were certain of what David Koresh told them about God and what God wanted for them. Uh-huh. And it cost them their lives. Right. And there's many other, Jim Jones. The Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> yes. And, there, and there's many other examples. I mean, even in the Old Testament, you have Jeremiah who goes to the, to goes to the king and says, uh, things aren't going to go well for you. And then another person comes along and says, no, things are going to go good for you. Both of them are saying that they're talking for God. So then I'm still seeking certainty. Because I see all these other examples of failures. Exactly. So what is it about us as human beings mm -hmm. that, is, uh, that is uncomfortable about questioning, number one, the reality of God, and then number two, to call into question what God can and cannot do in our world, or what God does or does not do in our world? What is it that we want from, from this? I don't know. We, our humanity is about questioning and doubting. That's part of our humanity. But do we want to embrace it or do we want to erase it and remove it from our lives? For example, going back to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Yeah. You want him to still be up here, right? Right. So if you see him as someone who like doubts. It's comfortable. Yes. 
I know you and Charity talked about this two weeks ago, is living in the uncomfortable and embracing the uncomfortable. Nobody wants to. Why? That's obvious. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. <laughs> What's good about it? Well, <clears throat> let me share real quick. What? The Southern writer Flannery O'Connor said the following, <clears throat> no suffering greater there, that there was no suffering greater than what is caused by the doubts of those who want to believe. But the reality is, is that in, in another writer says the following, while certainly frequently doubting, I'm sorry, while, while certainty frequently calcifies into rigidity, intolerance and self-righteousness, doubt can deepen, clarify and explain. Okay, again, <laughs> certainty can calcify into rigidity, uh -huh, intolerance, and self-righteousness. Doubt can deepen, clarify, and explain. Growth. But the, yes, but growth is painful. Right. I mean, if you've been taught all your life certain ways of looking at God <laughs> and understanding God, yes. and those, <laughs> those no longer work for you. Yes. Then you're sitting in the uncomfortable. Exactly. <clears throat> or if someone comes along and asks questions about that, yes. you can either ignore those questions or you can think about them. And if you do, it creates what is often called a time of darkness in one's life. Yes, the and dark those, night of the soul. And those are very, very uncomfortable moments. For sure. And they don't ever go away once you acknowledge them, I think. And so I think we <clears throat> either try to avoid them I, I think there are people, this is just if I'm a, a little bit of my reading, this is what I tend to see, mm. is that people find a, an idea of God that they find comfort in. Mm -hmm. Right. And they hold <laughs> that idea of God. Mm -hmm. And then when they have experiences that call that into question, they often will go through all sorts of gymnastics to still justify and maintain that view of God yeah. and beliefs that stem from that. Okay. So for example, a young woman married, mm -hmm. um, she becomes pregnant, uh -huh. oh, but let, let me back it up. Okay. You have a young woman, not married, becomes pregnant. Okay. Grew up believing that abortion was a sin. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, she's faced with this reality of having a child. Right. That she is not ready to raise. Right. Her decision, let's say she decides to have an abortion, that woman can still walk away with believing that God doesn't approve of abortion, uh -huh. that God is against abortion, mm -hmm. and yet at the same time justify her decision. So there's this mental gymnastics that we do to maintain our beliefs and our, and, and our understanding of God, but yet justify our behavior. Yes. But then there's experiences mm -hmm. that happen that we can't justify them. We can't bring things back into harmony again. And when that happens, I think it, cre it creates a huge disconnect for the majority of people. And either you dismiss those, uh -huh. or I think people walk away at that point. Okay. Maybe not necessarily walk away with from into an atheistic view of God, right. but basically just kind of put it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. 
rather than re really wrestling with the questions. So this is coming from an idea that you've sinned, correct? Yeah, not only that, but when you see things like, for example, I have a hard time believing that God is concerned mm -hmm. with transgender women playing sports or not. Okay. <laughs> while things are happening in Ukraine. Oh. I, I, I don't understand that. If God is that interested in what we do or not do with our genitals, God is concerned with what we decide about who and who we love or not love. God is concerned about immigrants coming into our country. God is concerned about um, what books are in our library. If God is concerned about all these things, and that's what we then, our actions are motivated by that, Yes. then what about God and what's going on in Ukraine? It's like- Okay, so he has priorities. Well, apparently <clears throat> Ukraine isn't one of those priorities. Well <laughs> but that's, that calls into, again, that's doubt. The doubt calls into question the reality of God and what God is about. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with that? Embrace. How do we sit in it? Well, I think two things. Number one. I don't one, want to sit in it. Exactly. I think number one is if you can belong to a community, I don't care how big that is, mm -hmm. but you then you know you're not alone. Because when you feel like, like I'm the only one going through this, it's kind of like Elijah going, I'm the only prophet here, ta-da, you know, I'm all on my own. <laughs> and then he's reminded in the story, uh, no, 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 you're not alone. I think when we can experience that, mm -hmm. either by reading of people in the past or having people in the present that we can talk with and share our doubts with, but I still think there is a stigma around doubts. I think there's a stigma around talking about God. Oh, for sure. And if we would, but if we could break through that and actually sit down with other people and mm -hmm. say, yeah, I've got these questions about God and not feel like you're gonna be judged, not feel like you're gonna be condemned, but actually have someone look at you in the midst of your doubt and say, I'm here for you. Not to get you through it, not to give you the answers, but mm -hmm. I'm just here for you right now. And I think there are some people that just wanna live in the bliss of not knowing. Yeah, and as long as that so, works for them, great. But at what, what is their option when it no longer works? When a the child ignorant or cocksure, right? Yeah. What happens? Bertrand or whatever his name was. Yeah. So what <laughs> happens when when a a young couple, their child accidentally falls into the pool and drowns? Where's God? So as long as they're in their complacency and everything, uh -huh. life continues to go along just you know, kind of not too many highs, not too many lows, but when something really rocks your world. Yeah. Man. That, that's when doubts come. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, in the last year, there was a, a young couple who they were reading a story to their child. And all of a sudden, their child threw up and oh. was hit with a massive, massive headache. Oh. It was a brain aneurysm. Right. The child was dead within 24 hours. Mm. 
on one side, people up to the time of the, the funeral were admiring her faith. Yeah. And it was after the funeral mm-hmm. that her, her life began to spiral down. Right. And the questions about God and the questions about, see, we, we admire people's faith. We avoid people when they're in times of turmoil and their life is spiraling. We avoid it because their discomfort makes us uncomfortable. And until we learn to be able to sit with people in their discomfort and not try to fix them, not try to make things better for them, not give them the answer, until we're willing to do that, then I think there will still be an element of shame that comes with doubting God. True. But I can say that I've had something rock my world and it didn't shake my, my, I didn't have doubt in God at all. Then that's, that's good, I guess. Well, or, or I don't, well, I shouldn't say that. I I shouldn't say it's good or bad. It just is. That was your reality. But I could have very easily started to doubt. Okay. Would that been, but it, it almost the way, and, and if, I mis, if I'm misinterpreting you, mm-hmm. then please tell me. But it okay. almost sounds what you just said is your ability to maintain your faith was seen as a positive. If you had started to doubt, that would be seen as a negative. Hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just asking. Possibly. So if, if that's the truth, then still within us there is this sense of having faith in God and I an idea just popped in my mind and, and maybe I'm completely off base on this what <clears throat> but do you think that it's possible that one reason why we are afraid of doubts mm-hmm. and doubting the existence of God is because we think we're going to get punished for it no okay not for me okay so where, no. does, so where does any hesitation to doubt come into play? Why is faith seen as being a more positive thing than, than, doubt. than doubt? I don't know. I, I, I'm more of the camp that I would embrace the doubt because I'm a seeker. So I want to learn more and the doubt puts me in that uncomfortable. I've, I've gotten to a point now where I can do that. Wasn't always there, <laughs> but you're right. It had to do with community. Yeah. And I think to be able to be okay with that yeah. and have permission to think like that. And unfortunately, a lot of the churches that I've been around, Mm-hmm. There, first of all, there's not a lot of God talk to begin with. Unless there's a, quote, class, I, I'm not aware of a lot of conversations that happen around coffee hours mm-hmm. when it comes to God. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's happening in churches all over, and I'm just not aware of it. I think it is. That's my experience. But if they are having these conversations, mm-hmm. and you do have doubts... yeah. Is that a safe place to make them known? It could be, but then they may um, approach it as we need to (laughs) 
change their mind and get them out of that hole that they've just dug. <laughs> and again, how comfortable are we with our clergy, pastors, mm -hmm. spiritual leaders embracing doubt and communicating that and being, uh, being vulnerable and saying, yeah, I, I don't know about how, why God allows or if God is involved at all in this. But then what's a leader for? You, you, then that goes back to how you started this conversation. What? what about leadership. Mm -hmm. So you answer it. No. What's, what's a leader? What's a leader? <laughs> I want to hear what you from have your, to say. From your opinion, what is a leader for? What do you expect from your leaders? As a follower, I want to be a partner in the the creation or the, or the, the initiative. I guess I want to be more um, relational. Yeah. So how can you have a relationship with your leader mm -hmm. if your leader is so separate and, di and different than you, this ideal that you're striving to obtain, how can you have a relationship with that person? They're beyond you. They're ahead of you. They're someone you look up to yeah. versus going to what you just said, a partnership, someone that you bond with, someone that you mm -hmm. realize that they are facing the exact same struggles that you are. And while they may not even be able to give you the answers or be able to even fix you, they will be there for you. That takes away the leadership. Does it? I think it does. Why? Well, I guess in business parlance, that's how leaders <laughs> operate. So. <laughs> well, and maybe that's the difference between. And they're not biblical, I guess, and we are. So our leadership is different. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I. I mean, as long as we see the leader as trying to take us somewhere, mm -hmm. rather than being with us in the midst of the journey. I, I mean, I think one of the things that leaders offer, especially in the spiritual realm, mm -hmm. is leaders are offered probably, their, their value is they have had more time to spend on these subjects, to be intentional in their use of their time, mm -hmm. to think about God, and to think about all these questions. And so I think in that way, they are the leaders. They can, because they're, fortunately, spiritual leaders are usually, to a certain degree, can be paid for that. So it's, <laughs> it's basically, they're giving time. They're, so it's like you saying, look, I have a job. Mm -hmm. I'm raising a family. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of time to spend looking at these tough questions, reading these books, answer, you know. Right. I do some, but I don't have as much time. So I'm willing to invest and pay a certain amount of money to this leader uh -huh. so that they can do this and then come with to me and share their discoveries and to share so that when I go through the tough times, when I have the tough questions, they're not uncomfortable with them because they've experienced them and they're willing to, to, to journey with me and allow me to go through that. That to me is a spiritual leader. That's, that's because you're giving them the opportunity to have this time 
to do stuff that you don't have the time to do. Agreed. And I think that then is what the Archbishop of Canterbury and the writer who talks about Moses, that's what they're doing, is they're giving us leaders who are real people. You know, it, it's not like, it, it, it would have been so easy for this writer to have written about the call of Moses and God calls Moses from the burning bush and says, hey, I want you to go down to Egypt and deliver my people. And the guy says, well, hold on, let me strap my sword on and put my sandals back on. <laughs> I'm ready to roll, God. You and I, boo, we're going to go hit this. Right? I, you, don't, you don't have this. Instead, you have this conversation where there's this element of doubt. I don't know about you, God. I don't know if you can do this for me. And that takes raw honesty. Mm -hmm. And raw honesty can make us very uncomfortable and feel very weak. Yeah. So it's not really a quality you want to see in a leader. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that's why, again, it's amazing to me when I flip through social media and look at some of the things that are preached at mm -hmm. churches, at how confident people are of what God wants for people's lives from their marriage to how they spend their money mm -hmm. to their career, to their ethics, to their morals. God, they can tell you exactly what God wants. I don't know if that's a picture that we find consistently throughout the Old Testament and the New. We're just looking for certainty. Yeah. And I think that's, if, if, even if you go back to the ancients, the ancients were looking for something beyond themselves to give order in the, in the world. That gave them a degree of certainty. Mm-hmm. But as we close, I think I'm going to turn to Carl Sagan, who people may agree or disagree with as far as some of the things that have happened around him. However, he says something that I think to me is pretty interesting. He says, somewhere, something incredible is waiting to be known. So what are you waiting for? So my question to you is, do you believe that? Somewhere, something incredible is waiting to be known. So here's what I encourage you. This week, get on the path and take the first step. Be uncomfortable. Have a doubt. Ask questions. Not know. And maybe, just maybe, you might be on the way to discovering something absolutely incredible that is out there for you. I hope you're willing to take that chance. I hope you're willing to find and take that risk because that is what enables us to grow as human beings. And perhaps in that growth, we will find a new idea about God that we'd never even thought about before. Thank you for joining us here at Monodia. If you would like, I would in we are giving you the opportunity to have a time of reflection. You can listen to it right now. You might want to come back to this at a later time, but it's a, it's a meditation. Manodia is made to offer alternative worship, a worship that is made for your ear. And so we understand that as you're listening to this podcast, you might be doing other things. 
and now may not be that time. But uh, know, please know that there's a meditation here waiting for you that you can come back to and use it just for two or three minutes. It's a short meditation, but it can be used to enable you to perhaps enter into a sense of peace in the midst of the chaos in your life right now. Enjoy your week and whatever you're doing out there, stay safe. Energy breathing. Our breathing centers around moving energy within our bodies through controlled breathing techniques such as using or focusing on your diaphragm. Our diaphragm is the most efficient muscle of breathing. It is located at the bottom of your lungs. And with this technique, you will be able to take in more air and decrease the demand for oxygen. While sitting down or lying on your back, place one hand on your upper chest and the other on your stomach below your rib cage. Breathe in slowly through your nose and feel your stomach move out from under your hand. Practice keeping the hand on your chest as still as possible. Concentrate on deep breaths that fill the lungs rather than the shallow ones that only fill the chest. Now, soften your gaze or perhaps even close your eyes. And when your mind wanders as it will, return to the physical sensation of your breath.